Hi Rebecca. Nadia here. Hello. Nadia from zenonco.io and Love Heals Cancer. We guide cancer patients on adopting an integrative oncological treatment approach. We help them find the balance between medical treatment and complementary treatment approaches. We help patients with our team of oncologists, lab experts, nutritionists and other healthcare professionals so that the treatment outcome for the patient is at its best. And as part of this, we also try to get in touch and we reach out and try to connect cancer warriors and patients with each other so that queries are answered so that people need to know that they need to feel less alone right it is one of the best feelings to know that oh if she can do it i can do it if he can do it i can do it. you know and as part of this we have something called a, as a healing story that we share and today we have rebecca here who's going to share one of her inspirational stories and i cannot wait to listen to her in inspirational journey i'm pretty sure the viewers are also watching. so let's just get to it and listen to rebecca right over to you That's rebecca <laughs> wonderful <laughs> so uh yeah so um just a little bit about me first i guess um I, uh, I am, I'm now 31, um, but I was diagnosed um, about three years ago when I was 28 um, with invasive ductal carcinoma, uh, which is a mo the most common form of breast cancer. Uh, and mine was triple positive, meaning that it was, um, it had estrogen and progesterone receptors. So it uh, needed hormones to, to continue to grow. And then it was also HER2 positive, which is just a um, sort of an extra receptor that some cancer cells have that let them, it, it has to do with protein. Uh, and uh, they can basically take in protein faster and grow faster. So it makes it more aggressive. And then my breast cancer was also grade three, which means it's um, more aggressive versus less aggressive. It, the, the cancer cells are more mutated and less normal. Um, and yeah, I mean, I was, uh, it was a surprise. That's for sure. I was only 28. Um, all of my genetic testings, of course, at that age, they assume that there is um, a genetic component like BRCA. Um, and all my genetic testing was negative and I didn't have very many risk factors. I didn't smoke. I, I, I drank a little bit, but not, you know, not, not excessively. Um, and, uh, I, I, now I realize after years of changing my lifestyle, I realized that I didn't, I thought I had a, a pretty healthy lifestyle at the time. I, I don't think that I did now, but, um, but, but I, but I, but I wasn't terrible. You know, I wasn't eating fast food every day or anything like that. And I was exercising a couple times a week. Um, I could have done, there was more I could have done, but I was only 28. So I was like, Oh, I'm fine. You know, I'm young. Um, and that's just a, a, a handy excuse that we have when we're young to fall back on, um, is that, Oh, we'll be fine. Illness is for, you know, the elderly, not for us. Um, so yeah, it was a surprise to say the least. <laughs> yeah. Um, so after that, yeah, we just sort of moved through, um, the steps and the stages, which I'm sure we'll get to, but, um, I did choose to take an integrative approach. So I did, yeah, things from the conventional world, but also a lot from the alternative world and, um, in terms of like lifestyle changes and things like that as well. So I'm sure we'll get into those too, but yeah, it was quite, a journey quite an experience that is for sure life-changing and here we are and here we are <laughs> this conversation telling 
the world exactly what Rebecca went through. I mean, um, if you were to tell me about your treatment, how exactly would you do it? Yeah, so I mean, I uh, it started off pretty as as it does for most people, I think. Um, we started with because so I was just really really lucky when I found it. Um, that I found it when I did. It was still stage one, so the tumor was one just over a centimeter, and uh, so we decided to do surgery first, um, and because it was quite small, so I did uh, a lymphectomy and um, an auxiliary node removal. So they remove some of the lymph nodes that are closest to the tumor, just to try to determine whether it's spread at all, um, and. Luckily, my margins were all very good. They got really clean margins and all of my lymph nodes were negative. So that was really great. Um, and I think that gave me a lot of confidence going forward in accepting some conventional treatment, but not accepting all of it. It's just what sort of felt right to me. And I knew pretty pretty much right away, I knew that I was going to take an integrative approach. My mom has always been interested in natural medicine, alternative medicine. And, you know, we would, we had a, you know, a, a normal family doctor, regular family doctor, but we would go to see a naturopath sometimes or an allergist or chiropractor, that kind of thing. So, um, some of the healthcare professionals that, that are usually associated sort of with the alternative health world. So, and she would always have sort of, you know, like when we got a cold, there was, you know, a regimen of supplements she would give us and, you know, oregano oil and stuff like that. And um, actually some things now that are quite common to take when you get a cold, but, you know, back in the early nineties that, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't a thing people did that much. So um, yeah, so she was always very interested in it. And so I, um, I, 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 th I suppose I was interested, but I, at least I had no biases towards natural medicine as some people do, you know, they think it's hokum or quackery or whatever. So I didn't have any of those biases and I was pretty sure that there was, there had to be something else out there in addition to conventional stuff that I could be doing. Um, and I'm a teacher and my, I'm a light, I love learning. And so my reaction to any problem, big or small is just to start researching and I'm quite good at it and I like learning and I like researching. So I just started reading everything I could find, watching everything I could find, talking. I think at one point I had, and so I got as many opinions as I could find. Um, and, uh, yeah, just started learning as much as I could to sort of inform all of my decisions. So, um, what I ultimately decided for me was the right thing. Um, I really wanted to get Herceptin, which is a um, drug that blocks that HER2 receptor that I mentioned. And it's been very, very effective um, for, for people who have that HER2 positive receptor. Um, but in here in Canada, uh, you can't uh, because of our universal healthcare system um, to get a treatment, especially when it comes to something like cancer, your conditions have to match the same conditions that they did for that, whatever that drug is. Otherwise the government won't pay for the treatment. Our health plan won't pay for the treatment. So, uh, and you have to have had some chemo, either a full, a full course or as much as you could in order to match the conditions of the study. Because of course the studies were all done with people who had received chemo as well. So I was really struggling with that because I really wanted to get Herceptin, but I get the right 
path for me. I felt like it was um, overkill because my margins were all clean and I had no, no, uh, all negative. And when I really broke down the percentages they gave me, um, chemo was only going to reduce my risk of that. And so for me, having a 1.8% reduction was not worth all of the potential side effects that come along with it, especially since I'm young. Um, side effects from radiation and chemo tend to crop up or get worse or appear as you get older, the longer you live, especially radiation. And since I plan on having many, many decades to live. Um, I really, that was something I was really, really focusing on. If I was 70, you know, I wouldn't worry about it, but because I was so young, I, I was really concerned about it, um, about my long-term health. So, uh, the, yeah, the 1.8% was not worth it for me. And, um, and I, because I was doing so much alternatively, I felt like I was going to get at least that much of a reduction with all of the stuff I was doing from the alternative world. So I know, every percent reduction that they can get. And that's totally fine. That's everybody's choice. Um, but for me, it just didn't feel worth it. And it just didn't feel there was a guy was telling that it wasn't the right thing. Um, so what I did, I, a friend of mine said, uh, a, a friend who was a doctor who inadvertently gave me the idea. He was trying to convince me to do chemo. Um, but I said, why can't I get just Herceptin? Why do I have to have chemo first? And so he explained the, you know, the trial and how it has to match. And he said, you know, sometimes if we know someone won't, won't, uh, won't tolerate chemo well, they're very old or they have uh, other health issues, heart issues, and we know that they just won't tolerate it well, we'll give them one round of chemo. And then we can say, yes, they've had some She was like, well, then why don't you just do one round and then say that you don't want to do any more and, and then you can do Herceptin. And I thought, actually, that's a really good idea. So, um, so I did one round of AC chemo, which is sometimes called the red devil because it's really awful. Um, and one round was enough. I lost all my hair. Um, I was, you know, as sick as I have ever been for two weeks. I don't know how people get through, you know, eight rounds of that. I don't know if I would have made it. It was really, truly awful. Um, and I started Herceptin now for a year. Um, and then I refused radiation because again, um, they were like, it's just in case there's anything there left in the area. But I report that I had really good margins. I knew my lymph nodes were clear. Um, so I knew there was, you know, there was a chance that there could be microscopic disease in the area. But again, I knew I was doing so much in terms of alternative treatments. And I was doing the Herceptin, which gave me a lot of confidence. And I also was taking tamoxifen, which is an estrogen receptor. It blocks the estrogen receptors in your body. So I was really confident that with the other stuff I was doing that I didn't need to do the radiation. And again, radiation is one of those things that every 10 years after your risk of a secondary cancer developing in the area where you had radiation, your risk goes up every 10 years. And again, because I was so young, even my surgeon told me, he's like, I don't know if they'll offer radiation because you're so young. Usually they try to avoid it if they can because you're hopefully going to be alive for a long time and your risk that means is increasing every 10 years that you're alive. And I just didn't want to live with that time bomb. I knew I was going to be living with the fear of my cancer coming back anyway, because that's just not something that ever goes away, but I didn't want that extra 
worry. <laughs> um, and, and again, I was really confident in everything I was doing alternatively and in terms of lifestyle changes and this, and the things that I was doing from the conventional world, I was really confident in those. Um, so yeah, so that's what I did. I did my year of Herceptin and now I've been on tamoxifen for about three years, two and a half years. Um, so yeah, so I had the lumpectomy. I did one round of chemo and then I did Herceptin, which is again, it's an intravenous drug. So I was still going to the hospital, to the chemo suite every three weeks um, and did that for a year. And uh, yeah, and tamoxifen. So yeah, and then a lot of stuff from the alternative world, which we can get into. Uh, but yeah, there was a lot. <laughs> Let's hear it. Sure. Okay. So um, the first thing was uh, lifestyle changes. Um, so that was... Uh, I completely overhauled my diet. The major things that I cut out, I was a complete sugar addict before. And I think that actually played a pretty big part for me in terms of root causes. Um, Cause that's something that the alternate or the conventional world doesn't tell you. My oncologist said, ah, it could be any number of many things that you have no control over. So don't worry about it. There's no way to know how you got it. And that just never sat right with me because the definition of insanity is doing the same thing twice and expecting a different result. So if you get cancer once and then you don't change anything about your lifestyle, about the environment in your body, obviously something in your environment, external and internal caused your cancer. It did. I mean, unless you're one of the people who has a genetic you know, predisposition, but only five to 10% of cancers are genetically caused. Uh, the other 90 to 95% are uh, other factors. And um, scientists are discovering that up to half of those 90 to 95% can be prevented with lifestyle changes. So in my mind, I was thinking, how is this possible that you're saying that there's nothing that I could have done to prevent it? And there's, you know, there's, there's no, no, no reason to dwell on why when for me, I was like, no, I want to know so that I can fix those things so that it doesn't come back because I don't ever want it to kind of never want to have to go through that again. Um, so yeah, I started digging for what my root causes could be. And I think sugar was definitely one of them. Um, and I was eating candy probably every day. And I was having some sort of, you know, like sugary treat, like muffins or cookies or ice cream or something like that every single day. So sugar was like the number one thing that I discovered I needed to cut out. Um, cause cancer cells just need so much more sugar than our healthy cells do. Um, and you know, there are arguments that say like, well, if they don't get their energy from sugar, then they'll get it from somewhere else. But my mentality was why am I going to give it something that could help it? Right. Why? Like, I'm just going to avoid it because it's, it's easy enough to do. And yeah, I don't want to give it anything that it is going to help it. Um, so I cut out sugar completely. Um, I cut out most dairy. Um, sometimes I'll have some goat cheese or something like that, but cow dairy in particular has some harmful proteins, casein in particular, that is uh, really, we can't digest it and it becomes carcinogenic. So uh, dairy, especially cow dairy was a big one and um, uh, processed grains, wheat, uh, any, you know, like white, white flour, pasta, all that sort of thing. And I do and any just any refined or processed grains really because you take all the nutrients out of it and then it's just like a, a kick to your to your blood glucose levels which again we want to keep nice and low and even and you know within normal range we don't want any huge spikes uh so that was the first thing um and then you know other other th normal things that come in like exercise and uh mental health i started meditating and really trying to deal with my stress um i learned that my body. Um, I did a test called nutrition genome, which is all about your epigenetics. And I have 
me less able to deal with stress hormones. So I experience more symptoms of stress and my body goes into a stress response much more easily, which I because I did have a very stressful couple of years leading up to my diagnosis. Um, so how to sort of calm my stress and deal with it and, and it crop up and anxiety too. So meditating was a huge thing. And then I just did everything I could find um, that was available to me from the alternative world. So I did vitamin C IVs. I did mistletoe injections, which I still do both of those. I did B12 injections for a while, glutathione, which is uh, like a master antioxidant. Basically um, I did uh, IVs called artesanate, which was developed for malaria, but it's um, basically uh, helps to get rid of viruses and parasites and cancer cells in your bloodstream. I did those. Um, I did hyperthermia, which is, um, cancer doesn't like heat. It's funny. It likes inflammation, but it doesn't like heat. So it, um, hyperthermia heats the, the internal temperature of, uh, you can do whole body hyperthermia, but in here in Canada, we only have localized. Um, so they put like a, a big, like water pillow almost, <laughs> uh, right where my tumor was and heat up the, uh, the area. They keep the skin cold, but they heat it up inside. It's fascinating how it, how it happens. Um, and what it does is it draws any natural substances you're taking or any drugs. People often time it with their chemotherapy. Um, I timed it with my Herceptin. So the heat actually draws natural substances and drugs to the area. Um, so you get a higher concentration of those cancer killing substances in the area where the tumor was. Uh, it also weakens the cell walls of um, cancer cells. And so the, those substances can get in more easily and, and destroy the cells more effectively. Uh, and then if there are young cancer cells in the area, it can actually completely kill them. Um, so I did hyperthermia and timed that with my Herceptin and I would get a vitamin C IV at the same time. Uh, vitamin C, those people who don't know, vitamin C ID, IVs in high, high concentrations, like 50 grams. Uh, it's a pro-oxidant versus an antioxidant. So it creates hydrogen peroxide in your body and your cancer cells don't have the enzyme that, that breaks that down uh, and your healthy cells do. So it doesn't affect your healthy cells and it does actually damage the, the cancer cells. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, so yeah, I did all of that. Um, I did, you know, uh, infrared saunas, um, colonics, um, lots of detoxing. Um, I did, uh, you know, every supplement that you could imagine <laughs> at one point or another. Um, yeah, there was just, it just a lot, a lot of stuff as much as I could reasonably, honestly, probably more than I could reasonably do. If I had been working at the same time, I would not, it was a full-time job. If I'd been working at the same time, I would not have been able to do it, but I spent, uh, you know, a good eight months doing nothing except for reading and researching and learning and then implementing like all of that stuff. Um, and these clinics where I could do these various things were far apart. So I was driving, you know, sometimes an hour to get to whatever clinic had the hyperthermia machine and yeah, and all sorts of stuff. So, uh, yeah, so I did. And then most of that now I I'm three years out now, so I still do one vitamin CIV a month and I do mistletoe injections every week. Mistletoe is uh, slightly toxic, not too much though, but enough to stimulate your immune system. Uh, so I do that still. Um, and yeah, and th that's sort of just like my maintenance, my maintenance doses for those. Um, but yeah, so it was, it was a lot, it was a wonderful learning experience. Um, and I came out feeling uh, that healthier than I have in my whole entire life. So that's been a gift for sure.
Wow. That really is a lot. <laughs> But definitely it's a lot. <laughs> you took really good care of yourself. At the end of the day I really like how you said yeah. that you researched, you went by everything was you. You you also said um mm-hmm. where you did did nothing for almost 8 months. But don't mm-hmm. say you didn't do anything. You took care mm-hmm. of yourself. You had your back. Yes, that's, that's true. That is that's the most true. beautiful thing ever. Like even the way you're saying it, the kind yeah. of energy you're radiating right now at this point, you know, is just mm-hmm. the result of that. It's so you true. Know? It is. It is. It so absolutely is. It, it it actually goes into my next question. How did you manage professional yeah. life and you know the treatment? Yeah. So I was. Yeah, it, I was. Um, lucky in that so i my job is is quite flexible um i'm a teacher but i do mostly um covering like maternity leaves and sick leaves and stuff like that so it's not permanent or even just like day to day if someone has an appointment i can cover them so it's very flexible it was really easy for me to just sort of put that on pause um i it's actually it's all done online all of the booking and hiring for the for that for teaching so i just blocked my my calendar off and i you know i said i'm not available and there are some principals that i had to tell them what was going on because um i knew them well and they would sometimes just email me or call me directly to hire me for a day or for a month or whatever so i had to explain why i kept having to say no um so it was it was this interesting and also when i was first diagnosed i was in the middle of teaching summer school um so i had to decide whether i thought i could finish teaching cuz i had one week left and i loved my class and i didn't want to leave them and i was diagnosed on a thursday and so i said after right like right after school so i was like okay, well i'm going to go tomorrow because i need to talk to my principal i need to if i'm not going to stay i need to tell my class and there's you know just things i need to finish up and i also feel like i needed a distraction <laughs> that first day uh, i needed something else to think about um but when i and and also i think there was a part of me that thought i really did want to finish the week and i and there was a part of me that thought that i might be able to but as soon as i got to school that day luckily they were just writing an in class exam uh all day so i didn't have to actually teach anything because i couldn't stop crying every like every 10 minutes i would i have to just like turn to the wall and like tear up because i didn't want them to see me crying obviously um so i knew then that i couldn't keep going just emotionally i was not going to be able to do it and the last week of summer school is particularly intense I was teaching English as well grade 12 so um like it's right before university so it's a lot it's a lot of marking and I just I knew I couldn't do it emotionally um so yeah I mean my principal was really wonderful she uh totally understood of course and you know told me a couple stories of people that she knew who had had breast cancer and were doing great now so that was really helpful and wonderful um I told my students and tried not to cry but of course I did and uh they were all really wonderful so I was just really lucky in that every everyone that was around me professionally at that time was super understanding and supportive I know that's not always the case um and then I was able to just yeah block myself off from work and really just focus on on healing um and i i and i i know there are people who continue to work throughout treatment and that's totally valid some people 
are like that. They need that distraction or they need that feeling of, you know, you're doing something productive and something that you like doing. It helps them to still feel like life is normal during a time where not much feels normal. Um, but for me, I knew, and I think also because even at that time, even right at the beginning, I think I knew intuitively that I was going to be a very active patient and I was going to be very involved in my own healing. Um, and I knew, I think instinctively knew that I just needed to put work and everything else aside. So I was really lucky in that I was able to do that. Um, you know, I got help from my family and, um, I like it, it just, it's funny the way the universe works. I had literally just added a cancer policy to my life insurance about five weeks before I was diagnosed and that policy mm. has to be active for four weeks before it's valid. So it was literally like days. Um, so I wow. was able to, to, to claim that and actually get um, a, a good chunk of money from that, which allowed me to not have to work. So it was just, it was just now I recognize it as, you know, the universe stepping in and helping me out. But at the time I was like, wow, what a crazy coincidence. Right. Um, but yeah, so that was just incredibly fortunate. I was so grateful for that. Um, and yeah, and then, and then again, because supply teaching substitute teaching is so flexible, you can work one day a week or you can work five days a week, whatever you're available for. Um, about eight months later, I was able to um, I was, I had done my one round of chemo. I was feeling good from surgery. Um, my hair was starting to grow back a little bit. Um, so I just started working, you know, two days a week, whenever I gradually, uh, worked my way back up. Um, and it took me a, a while before I felt like I was, because it's also a mental and emotional thing too. It's not just your physical health. You might feel physically ready to go back to work, but mentally and emotionally, maybe not because it's, and that's really the, the lasting toll of cancer. We get, if, you know, if we're lucky and one of the lucky ones that gets through treatment well, and we recover and we're cancer free, the physical effects from, from treatment and from cancer itself do get better for most of us. Um, but the mental and the emotional impact, it lasts forever. Um, and take can take a while sometimes. And I think in our society, there's this, uh, idea that we have to keep going. We have to keep pushing. Um, you know, we're more stressed than we ever have been in human history. Uh, we work longer. Um, and we, there's this, yeah, this sense that we've somehow failed if we have to take time off or we have to take care of ourselves. Um, and so I think some people often feel very pressured to go back to work and it's much before they are ready to. Um, so I think just being really in tune as, or as in tune as you can be with yourself physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and just really, um, taking your time and being patient and, and recognizing when you're not ready. And if you have the ability to hold off, to absolutely do that and hold off until you really feel like you're, like you're ready to go back. So I was able to do that, which was really wonderful. And I was felt so lucky to be able to do that. And, um, yeah, yeah. And so I, I do know that it's not as easy as that for some people, some people, you know, 
don't have the luxury of being able to take that time off. Um, but if you can, I, I highly, highly suggest it because it's just a lot harder to heal when, um, when we're stressed about other things going on in our lives, like work, which is a common stressor. Um, and it's a lot harder to heal too. I feel personally like it's harder to heal when you're not fully focused on that healing. Um, yeah, you, I, I think it's really important to give your body this, the space and the time that it needs to, yeah, to heal. So if you can, you should do that. <laughs> Definitely. That is the message. That is the message. We we tend to feel that pressure. We shouldn't let the pressure get to us. Definitely. That is, that Definitely. is uh, I mean, what helps another person may not be the same thing that helps the other person. So everybody has their way. Yes, of exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. as long Absolutely. as the goal is to not let that pressure be, okay, I need to take this time out. Means I need to yes. take this time out. There's no exactly. <laughs> there Absolutely. Is no, it shouldn't just fly over your head, should it? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes it is something that gets forgotten. Um, that self-care. Uh, yeah, it's, it's often the first thing that goes out the window when we get stressed. Usually, you know, when we're worried about other things, um, care for ourselves. Yeah. Tends to, to be the first thing that gets bumped off. So <laughs> Yeah. And you got down to doing that as soon as possible. That self-care, that the detection. And talk to us about the detection part. Examination. Yeah. If you hadn't, sure. what would have happened? Like you've taken yeah. care of yourself so well that, okay, now you notice. So many people, they just ignore it and have it That's for right. months and maybe a year. Months and and then and they don't have... Uh, Doctors can't help them. People who find right. figure it. Yeah. Tell us about That's that. right. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, it's so true. We do. And I, I think some of it is, um, I think a lot of it is fear. Uh, you know, if you do feel something uh, or you even, if some women even describe um, just no, just not, not even being able to feel a lump or anything, but just having this sense, this knowing that they knew they had cancer, like waking up and being like, I, I like just, which is great. Like such a wild concept. But, um, now that I understand how strongly the body and the mind is connected, I can, I can totally understand that. Um, but yeah, so I was, because I was young, I, I mean, obviously I was too young to be getting annual mammograms or anything like that. Um, and I, I would, I wasn't doing proper self exams. I'd never really been taught how to do a proper self exam, um, which is something that I think needs to change. Um, but uh, I would just kind of, you know, I had heard that, you know, you should get to know what your breasts feel like so that if, something changes, you, you know, right away. So I would just kind of have a feel around every couple of months. And, uh, I wasn't in my mind, I wasn't looking for anything. I was just trying to get to know the terrain of my own breasts and what that felt like. Um, and so, yeah, one day I was just in the shower and I was having a feel and I wasn't, I, again, I wasn't really concentrating or looking for anything in particular, cause I didn't know what a cancerous tumor felt like. Um, I'd never, I, like, I knew uh, that it might feel hard or that it might feel uneven, but I really, you know, unless you've actually felt it one before you, you don't really know what you're looking for. Um, so I, yeah, I just happened to, to feel, and I was just very lucky. It was right on the outside. Um, 
on the left. It was so far to the outside of my breast tissue. I could actually press my skin down and I could see it. I could see the lump if I pressed my skin down and that's how close. And so I was just really lucky where it was because if it had been in, in towards the center of my breast, it would have been buried and I would have, it would have been, a, I would have had to get a lot bigger before I would have felt it. So I was just incredibly lucky where it was and that I happened to find it while it was still small. Um, and I mean, I've always been one of those people who goes to the doctor for everything. <laughs> like I, I'm uh, a little bit of a worry wart when it comes <laughs> to my health. Um, and, uh, so I, I mean, I've, I've lost a few family members to health issues. And so mm -hmm. I think that just played into that. Um, and so I, yeah, I've always been that way. Whenever I feel like something's wrong, I'm the person who's at the doctor when they probably don't need to be at the doctor, but Hey, in this case, it maybe saved my life. So, um, so yeah, so I was at my doctor just a couple of days later and I think I did have a sense that I, it was something that I needed to, to get checked out. I think I did have that sort of gut feeling that this isn't something that you should leave. Um, so yeah, just a couple of days later, I was at my doctor and she she was like, okay, well, you know, it could be anything. It could just be fibrous tissue. It could be, you know, whatever, but let's do a, um, an ultrasound and see. So we did an ultrasound and that came back inconclusive. It, they said, you know, there's some suspicious characteristics, but not others. Like, for example, it was very mobile, meaning you could, I, I could move, you could move it if you pressed on it. And usually a cancerous tumor latches on really tightly and you can't move it. So something being mobile is usually a sign that it's a cyst or something like that instead. So they said, you know, it, it, it has some, you know, suspicious characteristics, but others, you know, it doesn't. So we're not sure. So um, they suggested doing a biopsy. And so my doctor said, uh, you know, let's do a mammogram first because the biopsy is not a pleasant experience. Um, so she's like, let's see if we can avoid doing the biopsy. We'll, we'll do a mammogram first. So we did a mammogram and I remember going to the mammogram clinic. It was luckily in the same building as my doctor, but I walked in and they looked at it and they were like, we don't usually do this for people your age. Are you sure this is what your doctor wants done? And I was like, I'm, I'm sure. And they're like, could you go back and ask just to make sure? And I was like, okay. So I went back down to my doctor's office and I was like, are you sure this is what, you know? And she was like, yes. And I was like, okay. So I went back upstairs. Um, but it's just, you know, like the, the disbelief because someone my age, you know, it's not, yeah, it's just not expected. But, um, so yeah, we did the, they put like a marker where the lump was and they took the image and it was negative. There was nothing in the mammogram. And we could see the, and, and the nurse or the technician, I think obviously recognized that I was really nervous and anxious. And she actually showed me the image in the room, which I don't think they're supposed to do, but she showed me the image and just said, look, I don't see anything. Um, and it all looked white. It all looked the same. She's like, there's the marker. And I was like, is there any way that we just like missed it? Cause it's so far to the outside. And she's like, no, cause there's the marker right there. So I know it's in the image and I don't see anything. So like, I think you're okay. And I was like, great. Uh, so then, you know, a week later, my doctor got the results. And so I went back in and she said, yeah, you know, it's negative. There's nothing there. But um, for whatever reason, I could tell she just had this look on her face that was, she was just unsure and uneasy. And she said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do the, the, the biopsy anyway. Um, she's like, just because that's what, 
they recommended in the ultrasound. And she, I don't even know if she explained it. I think she, all she said was, I, we should do the biopsy anyway. I think that's all she said. And, um, so what I've later discovered is that a lot of young women have dense breast tissue. Um, and so a mammogram, yeah, it, it's like finding a snowball in a snowstorm. It, it all looks the same. Uh, it all looks the exact same. So it's, it's, it, virtually impossible to find a tumor on a mammogram, not impossible, but it's very difficult to find a a tumor on a mammogram with someone with dense breast tissue. It just all looks the same. And that's what exactly what it looked like. Just all looked like white. Um, so that's why it didn't show up. That's why it was negative. Even though I could see it, like I could literally see the lump with my eyes if I pushed my skin down. Um, and yet the mammogram was negative. So uh, so yeah, so we just, she, for whatever reason, she decided to do the biopsy. So she sent me for a biopsy and that, that's what ultimately diagnosed me. But everyone was so like, they had told me that the, you know, mammogram was negative. The guy who came in to do my biopsy was very casual. I think he was like eating a snack and he was like, oh, I looked at your, your pictures, your ultra, your other ultrasound in the mammogram and looks normal to me. And like, it's very mobile, which is usually a good sign. He's like, so I think you're fine, but we'll just do the biopsy anyway, just in case. So it was nice because it meant that for the week that I was waiting for my results, I really wasn't worried. I was not <laughs> concerned because everyone had said like, you know, it was probably fine. But, uh, the result of that was that I was so unconcerned that I went to get my results by myself because I figured that I was fine. And so that's not a good idea. If you're ever going to get biopsy results, take a buddy just in case. <laughs> uh, cause that was, uh, I think a much more difficult experience for me because I was by myself. I had to drive myself home afterwards. And it was, I was like 30, it was a hospital that was farther away from where I live now. So I was, it was at least a half an hour. And um, yeah, so it was just a month and you kind of go into shock. Everything just numbs. Uh, It's like you have, your earmuffs on, like everything is just sort of like dead end. Um, and you're not really listening that well and you're not really taking in what they're saying. Um, so yeah, it just, it would have been helpful to have somebody else there be able to drive me home and be able to listen to what they were telling me. Um, yeah, so that's what was, um, that's ultimately what diagnosed it. And then my, my family doctor afterwards, I actually was the one who told her because, uh, I went to her for my physical, my pre-op physical. And she was like, Oh, is this pre-op for the biopsy? And I was like, no, I already had the biopsy. And she was like, Oh, like what, what's this pre-op for then? And I was like, a lumpectomy because I have cancer. And she, she hadn't gotten the results yet. Um, I don't know why, but she hadn't gotten the results yet. And she was so upset. And she was like, I'm so sorry. She's like, I should be the one, you know, comforting you and supporting you. She's like, but I just, usually I have time to read the results and, you know, accept it and then, you know, deliver them. And she's like, I just, I know her for so long. She's been my family doctor for a really long time. And she's like, I just, I know you so well and you have no risk factors. And she said, I don't even know why I sent you for the biopsy. She was like, you know, a lot of times, because of your age and your limited risk factors and the negative mammogram, she's like, I would have said, just come back in six months. A lot of times she's like, that's what I should would like would have done. She's like, in my mind, that is what I should have done. She's like, I don't, I don't even know why I sent you for the biopsy. She's like, but so again, I feel like that was just sort of some universal intervention saying, you know, making her feel like, okay, she's got to go for it. Um, and, uh, yeah. And so that, that was it. So I had, I think I had my surgery a week and a half after I got those results. It was really fast. 
Um, yeah. And then, and then after that, I, uh, yeah, I met my oncologist a few weeks later and yeah, we started on all of that. And in the meantime, I had also, I already had a naturopath. I'd been seeing her for just serendipitous. I had already, um, been seeing her for a couple of months prior to my diagnosis because I was diagnosed in July and that previous winter I had gotten sick like eight times. Like I would have a cold for two weeks and then I would feel better for two weeks and then I'd get another cold. And it was just a constant cycle. And I was like, this isn't normal. This isn't good. So, um, and I think that was a, a hint as well at what was going on. So my immune system was busy with other stuff <laughs> and it was trying to, you know, kill cancer. Um, and so I had already been seeing her to kind of start supporting my immune system and improving that. And she just happens to be a naturopath who specializes in oncology. Um, a lot of her practice is with cancer patients. And I didn't even know that at the time when I picked her from the list of, the, of <laughs> doctors who were near me. Um, but yeah, I would just, again, you know, you make luck serendipity or just, you know, someone looking out for me and saying, this is, you're going to need her. You're going to need her yes. in the future. So, go with her. Uh, so I was able to really make a very seamless transition uh, into that integrative route. I didn't have to take time to find somebody. I just, he called her and I was like, okay, this is what's happened. We're changing gears. <laughs> we're going to still focus on immunity, but we're also going to be focusing on, you know, a lot of other stuff. So, uh, yeah, pretty much right from the beginning, I was yeah able to take that, that dual path, um, with alternative and conventional and, uh, yeah. And then the rest is they say is history. <laughs> yeah. You just answered everything so precisely and briefly. Like I'm, I, I'm able to revisit this entire thing with you, you know, yeah. the way you're yeah. narrating to me. I'm able to see how each and every step is taking by yeah. one after the other. So, yeah. well, th that says so much about your personality. So oh, organized and so um, this <laughs> has know. to be like, I already, <laughs> it's just, just coming through. <laughs> but, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely how I am. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, coming to my next question, yeah. um, how did your family, how was this disclosed to them? How did they take it? How yeah, so things turn out for them? Yeah. And who was your caregiver? Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, so because I was by myself, I had the unhappy job of having to tell literally everyone that I knew. Um, because and it, it was, I still, I obviously still remember that, that drive home from the doctor, from getting my results. And I remember thinking to myself, I am the only one in the world right now, other than my doctor, who knows this, the people who love me the most in the world, who know everything about me, don't know this yet. And it was the craziest feeling just being alone in that knowledge. Uh, and it was, I, I can't, I feel like it was a good thing on some level because I did get sort of that time completely by myself to, to sit with it a little bit and not be concerned. I'm, I'm a recovering people pleaser, I like to say. So I'm always more concerned about how other people are feeling as opposed to how I'm feeling. And I think, again, that was another factor for me, um, me about in it. developing mm -hmm. cancer in the first place. Yeah. The story <laughs> um, of our lives. So I... I know. Right. Oh my gosh. Especially as women, I feel like, but, um, yeah, so I did actually got, 
Yeah. So I actually got that moment to, to sit with it myself and not be thinking, not be taking in anybody else's reaction because nobody else knew yet. So nobody else was reacting to the news yet. So it was just, it was a really crazy feeling though, knowing that, um, and like, I tell my part, I tell him everything, my partner, I tell him everything. And so it was just a really weird feeling being like, he doesn't know this. Um, and I remember getting home and sitting in the driveway and I knew I had to go upstairs and tell him, and I really didn't want to, I was, it was obviously, you know, it's just when you have news that, you know, is going to just destroy somebody it's, and someone you love so much, it's just, it's the most difficult thing, the most difficult thing to have to do. Um, so yeah, I went upstairs and, uh, I told him, and I think he already kind of suspected because he had texted me right away to say like, how did it go? And I was like, we'll talk when, when I get home. Like I didn't obviously, I wasn't, I didn't want to text him and tell him that information. Um, and so I think he had already kind of thought that maybe something was wrong because I wouldn't tell him in, in text. Um, and yeah, and I said, you know, I said I have breast cancer. And then I think the first thing I said was, which is really sad now to think about, but I said, I'm sorry that you love me because you're going to have to go through this with me. And I'm really sorry. That really sucks. And, um, of course he was like the best, he was wonderful. And he was like, you're don't be ridiculous. Like, of course I'm going to be here for you. And I'm, I'm not sorry that I love you. Um, and, uh, he was wonderful. So I was 28 and he is three years younger than me. So he was only 25 and he, yeah. And it's a, that's a lot and to handle. It was a lot for me to handle. Um, and he just was a champ. He was amazing. Like just absolutely amazing. Um, just n- nothing ever except for, so he never complained. He never, you know, said he never, he never even said, I wish this wasn't happening. You know, he was just like, I mean, obviously he wished it wasn't happening to me, but like, he never made me feel like I think I put guilt on myself, but I, he never put any kind of guilt on me. He was, yeah, he was just absolutely amazing. Just amazing. Um, and then his parents live just down the street from us. We're pretty close. Um, so we, I was like, I need to go and tell somebody else now. Like I was like, I can't have, it's too heavy for us to just have this, just us. So, um, uh, so I was like, let's go tell them. So we went over, we told them, And then my mom lives about an hour and a half away from me. So I knew I wasn't going to be able to go right then and tell her. And it wasn't something that I wanted to call her and, and tell, tell her. Um, so we went up, I think the next day we went up and told her, and I just felt and your family and friends is, um, patient guilt. Like there's just, and I think it's, again, for someone who's a people pleaser, it's because you feel like you're doing this to them, even though you're not like, it's not your fault, but you have that feeling that it, you know, you are doing this to them. And my mom has not had the easiest. She just, she's had to take care of a lot of people in her life. My dad had cancer when I was a kid and she had to take care of him. And, um, and then her, and then her mother, uh, just a few years before that she had, she, she was just, she lived to be a hundred. So she just had a lot mm. of health issues as she got older. So my mom, she lived with them for a while. My mom took care of her for years before she went to a nursing home. And then her husband had some major health issues three years ago. So she had been taking care of him. And so I was like, Oh my God, he's now she's going to have to take care of me again. You know, it's just somebody else 
So I think I felt the worst about her because I just felt like she was, she just so didn't deserve it. She just had, has had to deal with so much in her life. She just didn't deserve it. Nobody deserves it. But, um, but everyone, again, everyone was really, I mean, there was all obviously initially like shock and tears, but everyone pretty quickly kicked into like, you're going to be fine. We're going to do this, you know? And, um, and my mom is like me and she just went into like research mode right Mm. away as well. And like, she has helped me so much in terms of, um, finding research and information and stuff as well. Uh, so yeah, she just kind of kicked into that gear and really it's brought me, ultimately it's brought me and all of my people closer together. Um, and I think that's one of the, uh, one of the, and I I know some people are probably going to think that I'm crazy when I say this, but I've come to recognize that there are a lot of gifts in cancer and maybe it, maybe everyone wouldn't call them gifts. They might call them, you know, lessons or, you know, positives or something like that. But I like to say that they're gifts because gifts are unexpected sometimes and you don't know what they're going to be. And, you know, you open them like, what is this, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and why? Um, but then you open it up and you unpack it. And um, there's actually some good, there was some good stuff in there for me. Um, and I think, yeah, one of those gifts is that, I was brought really it's like so much closer to um to Jesse my partner and to my mom and and uh, my stepdad and my sister we and my in-laws we were all you kind of you form a team I, I I say all the time cancer is a team sport like it really is you have to have that team around you and um or it just makes it so much easier if you do and they were just a fantastic team they were so supportive so wonderful and yeah I could I would not have gotten through it nearly as well as I did without them that is for sure that's for sure <laughs> again home team and the hospital team. You had both. And yeah, exactly. Both yeah, you have your home team and your away team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, both yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You have your healthcare team and then you have your support team. And you have- yep. And they come together. That's the best part. They come together without them knowing. That's it. right. They do. So that's, that's yeah, absolutely. They do. They really do. Yeah. And I think that's why it's so important. Yeah. That's the best part. Mm. Yeah. And it's really important to trust your healthcare team just as much as you trust your, your home team too. Um, yeah. You have to really find those, those people that you, you know, are gonna, are gonna, yeah, be on your side and that you, yeah, you trust their opinions and you trust their knowledge. And yeah, it's important. It's important to like your doctors. It is. Uh, I feel, I feel that way anyway. Yeah. I was just going to tell that trust, that reliability that no, this person has yeah. my back maybe as much as I have yes. my own back or even more at times, you know, or even more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. That's, yeah, for sure. And, and, and at times when we I mean, we question our own selves. We question our own belief system. They're there to remind us that, no, this is the person that you are. Don't let this get to you. You know? That's right. Absolutely. Yeah, because we lose sight of that sometimes and we really really do need that reminder. Yeah, absolutely. We tend to forget it. We tend to... I mean, situation that we're in tends to be... We tend to get carried away by our own emotions at times and that reminder is so strong 
they remind us of the person that we truly are and that we can get through with this yes yes yeah and i think there are some moments in <clears throat> uh like when i had the the one like the one round of chemo it was way harder than i expected it to be i had a particularly bad reaction to it i was in the hospital the next day because my arms were numb and my heart was like beating i have a kind of an irregular heartbeat anyway it skips a beat sometimes and it, my heartbeat was just like racing and uh i was they have such strong meds now they don't most people don't actually end up, you know we have this image of the cancer patient as like you know sick and throwing up everywhere um after chemo but the the meds they have now are so good and so strong that a lot of women don't um or i say women because of breast cancer but a lot of patients don't um they feel nauseous, but they don't actually throw up. But I was sick within like a half an hour of getting home and it lasted for days. And, and it was just so hard. And I was like, how is it this hard, this one, you know, one round. And it really messed with my head. I wasn't prepared for the mental and emotional side effects of chemo. It was, we're so focused on, and I think that's just true of cancer treatment in general. We're so focused on the physical, you know, we just want to get this thing out and, <clears throat> and that's so it's and it's totally normal and understandable, but we uh, are not well prepared, I don't think, for the physical and the mental impacts of treatment. And I just felt, I felt like not myself at all, which was really hard for me. And I was like, is this gonna like, am I gonna feel this way forever? I literally asked Jesse, I was like, am I gonna feel this way forever? Like, am I gonna feel this crazy forever? And he was like, no, it'll go away. So, you know, like, this is not you, it's just the drugs, like, it, it will, you'll be back to yourself eventually. So um, just having someone there to tell you, you know, like, this will pass, you know, uh, was just was so, so vital, so important. Yeah, because I don't, I was in a place where I couldn't remind myself of that. I was just like, I was just, yeah, I was like, this is going to be forever. This is my life now. Great. Get used to it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just how you're feeling in the moment, you know, negative. Yeah. So yeah. having someone to like pull you back up from that is super helpful. Yeah. Yes. Tell us how you reacted or what was going through your mind when you first got that report that said, okay, now you're cancer free. Oh, um, so it would have been, uh, I, I guess my, my first MRI, my like one year MRI um, because I don't do mammograms now because a negative result will never mean anything to me because of my first experience with the mammogram being negative. Um, I'm never going to trust a negative mammogram. Um, so I was like, it's not, it's not going to help me at all. Um, so I do MRIs instead and I'll probably switch to ultrasound soon. Um, but anyway, so yeah, it was my one, I think it was my one year MRI and it came back totally normal. And, um, it was just this, I don't know if you've ever had this, you probably had this experience, but when you don't really realize how heavily something is weighing on you until it's lifted. Um, and it was, yeah, it was just this amazing feeling of lightness and, um, and hope, I think that, you know, my life would be able to, there's no going back to normal to like the way that it was before. Like your life is forever changed after a diagnosis, but I, it gave me a lot. It was the first sort of, 
because I was just in my own little world for like that whole first year. I was so focused on researching and learning and I was so focused on, you know, all the, like every day I had a routine, you know, I would meditate and I would exercise and I was doing um, coffee enemas every day at that point, which is like helping with detoxing and things like that. And um, <clears throat> I was juicing every day and I had this like huge smoothie I would make every day. So all this stuff took like all my time. And then I would have all, a ton of appointments, my naturopaths, hyperthermia, Herceptin, you know, I was going all over. Um, and so it had just been totally consumed. My whole life had just been consumed with cancer for the, that whole year. And it was just the first indication that at some point I was going to be able to uh, have something in my life other than cancer. Uh, and it was just a really, a really wonderful feeling. And it's something, and it's interesting because this year it, it's been uh, three years now. And so my MRI this, this year, and I think I probably have felt this way every year, but I didn't recognize it, or at least I wasn't, I've become, I've, be, I've gotten to know myself very well in the last three years. And I've become very in tune with like my body and my emotions and my mental state. And I think probably I did feel this way before with the other MRIs, but I just didn't recognize it um, yet. But this year I really, I felt the initial sort of relief and lightness and then I felt this sadness and I was, and I clocked it and I was like, that's weird. Why do I feel like, why do I feel sad? And I just started crying and I couldn't stop crying. And I was trying to convince myself that I was crying because I was happy. And, and part of it was that, but there was, I had enough emotional intelligence about myself at that point to say, there's something else here. Like you're not crying just because you're happy. You're also sad. And why is that? And I think what it was, was the recognition that this year, it's good news, but I'm going to have to do this every year for a really long time. And every year I'm going to have to go through that same anxiety and the same, you know, leading up to it, that anxiety, and then the anxiety of waiting for your results. And, and it's just, it, that it's, and it's just more, you know, in evidence that your life, it is, it's forever changed. It never goes back to normal. And so, yeah, there was this, <clears throat> it's this weird mix of emotions of like, you're so happy that you're through this really difficult time. And I say this just in case anyone else out there is feeling this way and is like, am I crazy for feeling sad, you know, um, but, or angry. Um, but you're not like, you sure. Hopefully the predominant feeling is happiness and relief and excitement. Um, but it's totally okay. And totally normal to feel some sadness at, at, you know, these, this big thing that you're going to still have to continue to deal with and think about for a really long time. And, um, especially breast cancer, because breast cancer can recur, you know, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years later sometimes. Um, so it really is, it's just something that's like a ticking time bomb always in the back of your head. So yeah, there was this little bit of sadness too. Um, but I think as long as, most of the time you can, you can stay f focused on the positive and you can feel happy and appreciative for where you are, because that's the other thing the the, the sadness or the fear or the anger, it also makes you appreciate the moments when you don't feel that, you know, it makes you appreciate the moments when you feel really happy and confident and positive. And the goal is obviously to feel that way most of the time and to do as much as you can to feel that way most of the time. So 
Yeah. Predominantly excitement and relief and lightness and happiness. Um, but yeah, a little bit of this like odd sadness too. And I remember feeling that way after I was done with Herceptin feeling, uh, people are like, are you excited to be done treatment? You know, you've been going every day or every three weeks for a year. Are you excited to be done? And I was like, yeah, I'm excited, but I'm also not, I'm also really scared to be done treatment because, you know, you feel confidence in like this drug that you're getting that, you know, has been really effective for other women. And you're seeing your doctor every couple of months and you're seeing nurses every three weeks in the chemo suite and you're getting blood tests done all the time. And so you just feel like you're really being taken care of and you're really on top of things. And it gives you a lot of confidence. Um, so then all of a sudden all that goes away. It's literally like, your, your last one is done. You ring the bell and then that's it. And like, okay, we'll see you in six months. And you're kind of like, what? Six months. So yeah, it's, um, <clears throat> I think anything to do with cancer has a really crazy mix of emotions. <laughs> it's like some good, some bad. And that is completely and totally normal. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah, Absolutely. it's, it's, a, it's a, a feeling that's really difficult to describe. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's, uh, yeah. It's, and my final question to you, what do you have to everybody out there watching this video, your one takeaway message, words of wisdom in a line or short and sweet, whatever, what do you have to say? Caregivers, survivors, patients, oh. doctors, everyone who's watching this video, what does Rebecca have to say? I think <clears throat> there's two things. I think the first thing is that you, it's so important to be an active patient. It really is. And whether you're taking an integrative route or a conventional route, uh, you really need to be active. You have to ask questions. If something doesn't feel right, you know, explore more. And for doctors who are, who have patients who are like that, cause I know I was not an easy patient. I, I questioned things a lot. I pushed back a lot, but it ultimately got me to a place where I felt like I had take, I made every choice right. I feel like for me. Um, and that's really, really important to have confidence in the choices that you made. It's so important. So I think for the doctors out there who have maybe a patient who is like me and is not the easiest, just, you know, um, uh, appreciate, you know, that what they're going through and, and, uh, and why they're asking these questions and, um, and be supportive of that, encourage that, encourage them to, yeah, to, to do whatever they need to do to be confident about the decisions that they're making. And yeah, for patients themselves to be super active. And then I think the other thing that's really important is you really need to get to know yourself and cancer is a really wonderful opportunity to do that. That's one of the other gifts that cancer has given me is that I've just gotten to know myself so well. I've gotten in touch with my intuition. I've developed this connection with myself and I feel like with the universe, uh, I call it the universe. Some people, you know, call it go say God or angels or whatever, but, um, and that really guided me in all of my decisions. And in a lot of the hardest, most difficult parts of this journey, I always could rely on my intuition and it's guided me right every single time. Um, and yeah, so develop that connection with yourself and trust in yourself and confidence in yourself and just stick to what feels right to you. Um, because if you make a decision for somebody else, you'll end up regretting it. If you make a decision for you, even if it doesn't turn out the way you want it to, you'll regret it way less if you made that choice for yourself than someone else.
that is so true that is so true mm. like i i cannot agree with you more i it is so yeah. true you just said because you have to make those decisions for yourself in a in a situation mm-hmm. like cancer um you all of a sudden so the doctor puts forth so many things where you have to make decisions and you're like That's right. okay now now what do i do i mean you're confused and yeah. that is where awareness comes in you spoke about that as well organizations that give out that awareness and what we yes. do it right now yeah yes exactly exactly all of it <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah there's a big draw in in you know, getting getting that final outcome and getting that major outcome yeah. out there that's right yeah because there is a lot of stuff that even if you do decide to take a completely conventional route and you do you take everything that they offer you um there's still so much you can do from the alternative world that helps make those treatments more effective that helps to decrease your side effects um that just gives you a better quality of life while you're going through those treatments and then risk reduction for a recurrence that like we don't do there's not a lot in the conventional world that they do for risk reduction they kind of just say okay we'll give you a scan once a year and let us know if anything feels weird and changes um and that has never sat right with me because uh shouldn't we be trying to prevent something from feeling weird instead of waiting until it feels weird right <laughs> so that's where the alternative world can really come in and help with those lifestyle changes and sup- some supplements to support your immune system and you know digging to see what maybe were potentially the root causes of your cancer so that you can address them and fix them um so yeah being just aware that those things are out there too even if you do take a com- completely conventional approach to treating your cancer there is just a whole world of stuff that you can do afterwards to prevent a recurrence or reduce your risk of getting a recurrence and i think that is what helps so much with the mental and emotional health after you're done treatment because that fear is always there and it can be so visceral and so strong and so hard to deal with but if you feel like you are taking steps to improve your health and reduce your risk that it's what allows me to live my life every day not completely in fear like i have a moment almost every day where of course where i like think about it and i'm afraid about anytime you have an ache or a pain or anything you're like oh my god um but uh yeah you do there if if you can take lots of steps to make yourself as healthy as you possibly can you're improving your chances of never get can- getting cancer again and you're also just improving your quality of life right now mentally and emotionally because you won't be nearly as as stressed and worried and scared um Rebecca, i cannot thank you i cannot thank you enough for being here taking the time out and you know sharing your story with us there were so many things that i did not know myself that i got to know so i can only imagine the kind of questions people who are already going through this would actually know yeah thank you so for much sure. with us thank My you pleasure. so much for having this talk and sharing Absolutely. all the information sharing something so personal that you went through Absolutely. it takes a lot of courage yeah. to do that it takes a lot of, a <laughs> lot thank you yeah. yeah you you are one I one think- strong person <laughs> Thank you. I mean I think it's really important. I think the the 
so I, I started um, a blog, Arenda blog, and uh, a Facebook group uh, that supports people going through cancer, Arenda Facebook, or sorry, Arenda Cancer Community uh, on Facebook. And, and I think for me, that was, um, has brought so much meaning and positivity to my experience with cancer, being able to help people through my experience. It makes, it takes a lot of the anger and the bitterness out of being diagnosed. It takes away a lot of that, like, why, why me? Like, why now? Um, and it gives meaning to it. Um, because if we can, I feel like that's one of the main reasons why we go through challenges in our life is so that we can grow and then we can help others to do the same because of our experience. Uh, cause otherwise what's the point? Like, what's the point of all this really hard stuff that we have to go through? Yes. We can't help other people afterwards. So, uh, yeah. So that's why I started Arenda, uh, because it was, it was my opportunity to, yeah, give, to help people and share my experience. So thank you for having me on here because this, I love to do this. I love to share, um, and help other people. Yeah. It's always got to do with paying it forward. Always got yeah, to be paying it forward. Yes, yes. Thank you so mm-hmm. much, Rebecca. Thank you. It has been such a pleasure. I've made a new friend, I believe. <laughs> and also, absolutely. <laughs> and also, like I said at the beginning, it is an honor to have spoken to you, to have known that, okay, there's such a person who's gone through this and they have come out of it stronger and better yes. and much, much more in connection with themselves wow thank you yes, so much definitely. thank you so much my Rebecca. pleasure my it pleasure been, thank you for been, having me yeah it has been great it has been great have a great day ahead bye take care thank keep you. inspiring thank all of us you. with the work that you're thank doing thank you thank you thank you i will thank you bye-bye <laughs>